When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Book Rat Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. Today is Thursday, July 21st, 2022. My name is Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. And as always, we're coming to you from the idea of the internet property known <laughs> as Book Riot. Com. Not quite an artist formerly known as situation. Yeah, yeah. Not quite, not quite. Uh, Rebecca, we're, we're in July. We've got some stuff to talk about. I guess the first thing off the dome is Patreon stuff. Um, as we're going to continue to mention it, just we don't want you to miss, which is another say, trying to make people sign up for the, the extra content. <laughs> I mean, the it one is pretty great. It is pretty good. The last one we did was an Ask Me Anything um, that's available now. Right after the show today, we're going to record our thoughts on Tomorrow and Tomorrow Tomorrow uh, by Gabriel Zevin, which we both have read. And it is a book that's available to purchase. And that's all I'm going to say about it right now. <laughs> Leave them wanting more. Good job. Yeah. Or anything. Give them nothing. That's yeah, that's negotiation strategy in 101. <laughs> Give up nothing. Um, we've got a little... I've, I didn't put this in general. I've got a little reader follow-up, and I'd like okay. to get you people you texted me cryptically and i responded and you didn't respond to me so more people emailed us about book club questions basically continuing the drumbeat of i use it sometimes they can be helpful sure b minus is that what we landed on b minus i think think so these are things that exist that you can use what was your what was your text what what you said what was the answer you said i had an epiphany about the book clubs and i was like and it was just, I saw your text too early oh. in the morning to respond to you on West Coast time. And I was like, I'll just save it for the pod. So I was oh, like, here it is. I, I had finished reading tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And I was reading the book club questions. And I had this moment where I realized at least the book club questions from this book, they're not really about the book. They're about the reader. There you go. And I was like, okay, that makes it make more sense to me. Like all of the ones here are like, what did you think about this? Would you have been mad if the character had done that thing to you? Did you think this thing was the way that it was? And it's good. It's very good prompting for people to talk about stuff. All of them are hooked into like plot moments rather really than like story ideas or the bigger issues of the book, I think. But if you have a group of people together that you're just trying to get to talk to each other, asking them questions that are fundamentally about themselves rather than asking them questions that are about like textual analysis does seem to be the way to go. And once I saw that, you know, I yeah. granted I was not looking at like, a representative sample of book club reader guides from a bunch of books. But we were, I was prepping for the recording we're about to do. And I was kind of wondering if there were any questions in there that I would want to bring into our conversation about the book. And the short answer is no, but the longer (laughs) answer is no, because I think the way that we go into conversations about books is more about what the book is about. And the reader guides are often 
kind of the hook of what happens, like they're plot focused, but with an angle towards what would you have done or what did yeah. you like and and really about like personal opinion or preferences that you can loosely connect to the book, but that really just provide a jumping off point for conversation. I was like, okay, this makes more sense to me now. But it was just, you know, in like 20 years of thinking about book stuff, I had never really thought about what's the angle on these questions and, and what really is the function of them. But once that light bulb went off, mm. I was like, oh, okay, this is more about the people than it is about like, what is the book doing? And I think I go into a conversation of, about a book a little bit differently than that, which probably explains why book clubs have never really been my jam. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was my epiphany. Yeah, I think, I think you're hundred percent right. <laughs> it's more that they're icebreakers to have a conversation with your friends or, or colleagues or acquaintances rather than their prompts for an AP English um, essay, right. right? That the book is the book's purpose in those situations is to point back towards the book club members to talk amongst themselves about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness or whatever, mm-hmm. where I think we want is, how does this help me get into the book? I want, yes. I want the questions to point me into the book and let me get my hands dirty and think and wrestle and, and get uh, closer to the book rather than closer to the people around me. I don't want that in any situations, let alone <laughs> um, interrupting my reading, which is my me time. Right. I think it it explains why the only durable book club membership of my life is our little two-headed book club here, where one of us is a former English teacher. Find find the book club that suits you. There ain't no wrong way to book club. I can imagine there are book clubs that are are more towards the English seminar. Probably so. Yeah. All kinds of of doing it. Um, This is, didn't give me affirmative um, permission to use the answer. This person's critique of the book clubs, they do use them sometimes. They're valuable for book clubs. This one is that they can feel markety. Like mm-hmm. they're never going to ask a real meaty question because if you're anyone, do you want a pointed question about something in the book happening in your book? Of course not. That makes a ton of sense. The the kid gloves are on for sure. And this person suggested like here's an example and where to crowd dead sing. Here's the kind of book club question I want. Um, how likely is it that an abandoned six-year-old can grow up alone in a swamp and still manage to become a shiny-haired, well-fed beauty with all of their teeth? My conclusion, oh. not bloody likely. This person is one of our people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thought that was very interesting. Um, yeah, more regularly use it. I think, let's see, there, was there anything else? I think those are my other ones. But I, I had to, I would read, you know, there's the, um, some there's some YouTube channel, maybe it's called Honest Trailers, that does like recuts movie trailers to like, yes. I would do honest book club questions. I would read that content. Yeah, I would too. Maybe that's a Patreon kind of way of doing a book club in the future is like our the the point of our we're, the thing we create together is uh uh honest book club questions about whatever book it is <laughs> that we're reading I, mean, I think there's some of that in like in my notes for our next conversation but also just in the way that we tend to have those conversations is like here's what i'm quibbling with or yes. like this is the thing that didn't work for me or that i wondered about and i want to hear that about in a, even in a regular book club, I think that is a useful conversation to have. And often like having a quibble or complaining about something does give people a platform to stand on more than just like, oh, I liked it. Like sometimes mm. I liked it is if a book is fine is all you really have to say. Yeah. But if you can get into some of the critique, that can be fun and interesting. But I do understand why a publisher who is trying to sell that book doesn't want to include what did you hate about this book among their <laughs> book club questions that are in the back of that actual book. 
makes sense. Yeah, and I, even I know from my, my long ago days of teaching, the best days, and who knows, it could be the weather, it could be mood, someone had, had a bad kielbasa, I don't know, that the conversation just doesn't spark. Yeah. Like there's some days all you literally have to do is bring the book in and before the bell rings, you're idly talking and it turns into a two hour, you know, wonderful Mr. Keating level revelatory conversation. Some days you've got Anna Karenina and it's 98 degrees outside <laughs> and homecoming was yesterday and you have to go back to your printed like prompts. Um, mm-hmm. And that can happen too. So on the whole, I'm glad book club, everyone has them in the back of the book. I think if I would ever need to resort to them myself, that would be a sign of a bad book club meeting. That I'm, I would be glad to have them in that bad book club meeting, but me needing to use those would be a sign of a bad book club. Yeah. Um, I, you can always turn to, let's do a close reading of the opening line. I mean, listen, open up to the million page and talk about it. I, I can go for days. Um, another, I haven't heard of this, and this person, again, no firm of, um, use of their name, in, in our talking, in our discussions of the Colleen Ho- Hoover juggernaut, mm, is mm-hmm. it a TikTok juggernaut that Colleen Hoover is getting dragged along behind or who who's leading what here, I think is part of the interesting question. But this person wrote in to say that at the beginning of pandemic, Hoover made five of her books available for free. Oh. So people who didn't, you know, they had money problem, they were nervous, could go read it in lockdown. Smart. And that post went viral, and this person says that's how they saw it. And this person's been wondering ever since that the word of mouth recommendations he's had off the back of that people who actually read those has contributed to becoming publishing this phenomenon. Mm. That's as likely thing as anything. Like, we like to believe in this world that there are causes and effects that are knowable by us mere mortals. I think that's less often true than we would like it to be. Sometimes stuff just happens. We'd like to say that it's because Reese picked crawdads. Well, Reese has picked a lot of things, and they ain't all crawdads. What is it about the thing that becomes a phenomenon is ineluctable, elusive, and only in hindsight can you start to do something because people can't predict them. Maybe. Was this a necessary piece of it? Was it sufficient, I think is an interesting Mm -hmm. question. Does this happen without that? Does it happen to a lesser degree? I don't think there's any way to know at this point, but I would like, if I had all the sales data in the world, could I see that post and then the six months after? I, I don't know, Rebecca. I mean, it's interesting. I guess it's yeah, one of those things that's that's tempting to to be seduced by here's the thing that did it. And I'm just it skeptical does of that. have the ring of something that could be an important part of the story. But there are a couple conditionals there, I think, yeah. of it would need to be that like a person saw that and read the book and then talked about it on TikTok. And I think that post on TikTok would have needed to go viral enough while the books were still free yeah. for a bunch of people to snag them then and and really have that be the thing. Like maybe someday somebody will will trace it back to the patient zero on TikTok who started the whole thing. Presumably TikTok knows <laughs> where this right. started and interview that person and they will say, oh, yes, I read it for free when she posted it at the beginning of the pandemic. And then maybe they'll trace it forward to some of the people that read it after that person. And they'll say, I also got it for free. And that's how it snowballed. Being easy to get, and there's no easier to get than free, certainly does help a thing. (laughs) But I don't know. Yeah, that's the other thing. We're storytelling animals. Like, we can tell a story about that that makes sense. And I'm not saying it's not true. It's a little bit too seductive of a story to me (laughs) to want to give it creams. My experience of these things is it's very opaque. 
there's still so much luck and randomness involved yeah. in it. Like, I'm sure that Colleen Hoover was not the only author who did something like that at the beginning of the pandemic. And we don't have these stories about TikTok virality at this level about anybody else. Um, so I think, again, could be one of the variables. Was it mm. the reason? Who knows? Probably not. We'll probably yeah. never know. Or maybe in like 25 years, someone will, will piece it all together and know. I was thinking about this recently, the word of mouth phenomenon, how much TikTok and in viral and like how much it is or isn't word of mouth as we would classically understand it. Mm. The viral phenomenon in my children's life right now, they're not on social media at all. Um, so they're they're not doing that. Have you heard of a squish mellow? Yes, I am okay. familiar with a so squish So it's mellow. even gotten to you. How did this become a thing? How did Cabbage Patch become a thing? Like, again, and you can't tell me it's marketing because Mattel and Hasbro market everything, right? So yeah. it maybe that's, that's, a, that's a necessary but not sufficient. Go back to ninth, nine-year-old zero. It just... It's so hard. It's just, it's just it hard is. to know. Or it's like, just so hard to know. You know, from our childhoods, and one of the things mentioned in the Gabrielle Zevin novel, Tamagotchi just like yes. became a thing. Beanie Babies became a thing. Like humans have just, we've done this for as long as we've been able to talk to each other. Things yep. have caught on and how and why they catch on really does remain mysterious because almost never are the attempts to duplicate that success by something that's not mm. the first thing, but similar to the first thing, successful. They're almost never successful. And the fact that we cannot reliably duplicate a trend like that, I think really points to how random and unpredictable these things really are. And of course, that's not the story anyone wants to tell because yeah. we want to try to sell the thing we spent money acquiring in the case of books or try to sell the thing we spent money developing or squishing if it's a squishmallow or <laughs> whatever. I saw a piece in the New York Times like a year ago that was a bunch of parents confessing to like basically stealing their children's squishmallows. And that's how I became aware of what a squishmallow is. Well, the New York Times, they're way ahead of it. Um, at least may maybe... My kids are the late adopters of nine year old, mm. nine to eleven year old tween fads. Um, show title, but I think it just—it's a classic one. It's like, sure, they're great. Are they an order of magnitude better than other vaguely cute squish like squishables? Was a thing before this that are almost exactly the same thing. <laughs> squishables is not like in Fred Meyer, my local grocery store slash Target thing, taking up two dedicated aisles, not even in the toy section. Like it's its own kind of a deal, and you know. There's there's an element of which the the mystery ingredient is the thing that makes this mm -hmm. so fascinating, right? You need the marketing, you need the book to have certain features, or you don't even know what the features are, and, and timing and zeitgeist and everything yeah. else. And everyone says this, but there's this mystery third tumbler in the lock that only certain keys are turning or do turn in that moment, and no one knows what that missing tumbler was. They just know that the key turned. And even when we do get, I think pretty decent attempts at telling these stories about phenomenon there are always additional variables like when the girl on the train became a big hit yeah do you remember that somebody traced it back to like goodreads sarah or something like good, this? yeah it's like goodreads jennifer or goodreads sarah yeah. someone who has or at the time at least had so many followers and was one of the i think first people to post a big positive review of the girl on the train and mm. whoever had written this article had traced at least the goodreads phenomenon of girl on the train back to the this person, this one really active user that I guess other active Goodreads folks knew of her. I remember one of yeah. our former coworkers was like, oh, yeah, I'm active on Goodreads and I know who that is. And people care about what she has to say. But also the girl on the train had a humongous 
marketing budget and was probably mm-hmm. going to sell well whether or not Goodreads Jennifer had created her own phenomenon inside right. the phenomenon. Right. So, it, I mean, I like this idea and it's an interesting data point and I think it's, um, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm still waiting. Where is the big Colleen Hoover profile in the Atlantic or in the New Yorker? I, 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 what does she say? When did she pick it up? Because I haven't seen it. I've looked. Maybe it's out there. It's behind some paywall somewhere, but I, I have not seen it. Yeah, maybe the team at New York Times that's been doing such great book coverage and has been covering TikTok will just get into Colleen Hoover. I would love to read it. Five of the 10 best-selling books of the year. Where are you, New York Times? You're covering Rebecca's friends and their Squishmallows a year ago. Let's get on this. <laughs> behind the ball here. All right, let's take a sponsor break. I'm not sure I was ready for a Mo- Michelle Obama book drop today. Um, let's, let's do the story and then do the meta story. Sure. Hey, you take the story and I'll give you my meta story question. Okay. Go. Well, it was announced this morning that Michelle Obama's next memoir, which is called The Light We Carry, is coming out in November. It will have an initial print run of 2.75 million copies. It will offer hope, wisdom, and guidance for navigating the world which has shifted since becoming. And she... Michelle Obama announced this in a video on Instagram that since has been picked up by all of the book-related news sources, all of the non-book-related news sources. Book Riot's got a piece on it. And you can hear Obama speak in that about how we've endured a pandemic and insurrection and an increase in bigotry, racism, and intolerance. And this is her attempt to offer readers a set of stories and reflections on change, challenge, and power, including her belief that when we light up for others, we can illuminate the richness and the potential of the world around us. Or as Lizzo said it, if I'm shining, everybody going to shine. So that's coming soon. I do think the meta story is more interesting than the story story. So let's get into that. Would you like to hear what my meta story questions are? Would you like to, would you like to? Go oh, first? no, let's hear your questions. Let's do it that way. Print run, 2.75 mm-hmm. million. A very good print run. The last book, 10 million copies in print. Mm-hmm. Why Why only 2.75? Is that just hardcover? Well, that's just the first print run. That's just the first print run. That's what they can get on boats and get on time for I November think 15th. so, yeah. Because Becoming sold 725,000 on the first day. So that 2.75 million is... It's going to go quick. Going to go real quick. Well, that was my next question. Um, Are you going to be able to buy one of these December 14th well, if you want to give it as a gift? I'm a little worried about people out there. If as give soon it. as this announcement came out, all of the big retailers had their pre-order buttons yes. up. And so I suspect that what will happen is if they see pre-orders exceeding or even coming real close to that $2.75 million, they will initiate another print run. And it will go to a second printing before it's even gone on sale so that... There will be enough to meet the demand of pre-orders and sit on shelves and bookstore tables on release day. My next meta story is, is this the direction you thought she would go? Not this, again, not this specific book. You can't really know that, but you know what I'm saying. What did you think was going to be next for, not the journal of becoming, you know what I'm talking about. Like Mm -hmm. the next... The next installment in the the main story of the MCU theatrical release for Michelle Obama's (laughs) book career... How close or not close was this to your, um, your the plot development here? It both is and isn't what I thought she would do next. I think she was really clear in becoming about really kind of how tired she was of 
at least election seasons and the political scene. And of course, she and Barack Obama want to stay, want to stay and have stayed involved in, in activism and in politics. But I think she's looking to not have that be the only thing that defines her work. So I think I was expecting something a little bit more leadershipy. And this looks a little more, um, in the vein of like, I'm your girlfriend, Michelle Obama, like, let's hang out and inspire each other, which she's very, very good at. Like, that's not a knock at all. I, you know, read the book, I listened to her podcast. I think she is inspiring and must be a supportive person to have in your life. And if she's making that accessible to people through her books, that's great. We need all the inspiration that we can get. I it's like a little softer, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted look at that sweater, Rebecca. Yes, that, that sweater. that's what I'm looking at. It's like a light, the light background, a white background on the book cover, and she's wearing a big, cozy sweater and has her big, beautiful smile. And the book is called "The Light We Carry." And like, I get it. We need hope right now, but I think I like Michelle Obama best when she is in her like take no prisoners mode of I don't care if you're going to get mad at me. Here's the truth. Here's the deal. I think I wanted Michelle Obama. Here's the deal. Like, here's the thing. Here's what we've got to do. And that can be inspiring and it can be about carrying light for each other. This looks a little bit softer than I was expecting and hoping for, but it's not like, it's not really out of line with the Michelle Obama brand. It's just a different end of it than I prefer. Yeah, it's it's a little more towards the Chip and Joanna Gaines collection in the center of Target than I myself would like, which she knows what she wants to do, and I'm, I'm sure it'll be interesting. Um, I was maybe, I don't know. It's not for me. It's fine. I, I don't even know what it's, a series of fresh stories, insightful reflections. So they're chapters with anecdotes or affirmations? Memoir and essays? And, or... I don't really know. Um I guess once I saw this, I, I hadn't even thought about her next book. I hadn't, you know, we talked about the journal version of Becoming. Becoming had sold well. I know they still have this huge deal with Crown. Obama's on the hook for another big one or whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I hadn't, so I was a little surprised to see it's November and we hadn't heard anything, but that's how they do. They don't need to do a year-long campaign for this. This is plenty of time um, for this start to stuff rolling out. Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm sure it'll sell and people will enjoy it and... I probably won't read it, but that's okay. Not everything yeah. has to be for me. Uh, more follow-up stuff. The HarperCollins, HarperCollins Union, they went out there, Rebecca. They struck they for a day. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't chilly out in New York when they it did it. 99 not. degrees. There's a piece by John Mara in um, Publishers Weekly. I When we covered the rumblings of this, was your over-under on Days of Strike 1? Did you think this was going <laughs> to happen? I... Uh, hmm, that's a great question. I'm not sure I even got to a prediction yeah. about it. I think if you had asked, I might have landed in. It's likely that they'll strike at least for a day because it didn't seem that HarperCollins was terribly motivated to like get out in front of the story or do much damage control around it. And it was just kind of like, well, if this isn't high priority for HarperCollins, these folks probably aren't going to get the offer that they want. And there will be some kind of strike a one day. I don't know probably shorter than I would have guessed if you're going to go on strike. But I guess, you know, if you come to a satisfying conclusion after one day and, or at least you feel like you can go back to the table, that's ideal that you don't have to be on strike for a long time. But hmm. I th- yeah, I think this is one of those, This, is, I mean, all strikes to some degree are public relations relations. Yeah. Some of them are more, you know, 
put your body in the gears of the machine. This is, they got the art. They got a photo by John Marr in Publishers mm-hmm. Weekly that everyone's looking at. So you only need a day for that. That's true. So, you know, do you, what, there's some maybe diminishing returns on days three, four, five, and six, unless you really are willing to walk out for an extended period of time. So at any employer, especially ones in publishing, which as you and I have said, I think in general, want to do what they believe is right and everyone has mm-hmm. constraints and everyone has their reasons this probably did as much work as a two-week strike on the higher-ups at, Harper, yeah. at Harper Collins. I think this is a smart amount um, to, to do so we'll follow that with some interest uh, tsh- dueling trailers <laughs> here I'm Listen, I don't think there's of much these, of a baby. contest I, well I, I actually was thinking about this I think I'm kind of equally excited for both of them myself that this you're is, more, that's true. You're this more is in for weird... hobbits, hobbit, <laughs> hobbit grandparents. That's what you're into. Yeah, no, this is a this is a weird um, like center of your personal Venn diagram. It I think. really is. So we got the she said trailer, um, which is based on the the book by Megan Tui and Jody Cantor. I don't know who's directing this off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. Do you know? Oh, I'm looking. Um... It doesn't have... Oh, no, directed by Emmy winner Maria Schrader, who directed the Unorthodox Limited series on hmm. Netflix. And the screenplay is written by Oscar winner Rebecca Linkowicz. I don't have any mental model of those people, though the trailer looks good. Carrie Mulligan and um, Zoe Kazan are going to play the two investigative reporters. It's just what I want, except that maybe I prefer an eight-hour limited series, <laughs> truth be told. <laughs> Same. I think eight hours of this would be wonderful, but it does look, I think I texted you or slacked you like, Jeff, 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 Jeff. The She Said trailer is here. And it does look kind of exactly what I was hoping it would look like. This is a big, important, serious story. And they're treating it like a big, important, serious story that had really high stakes. She Mm. said was both like very pointed about the issues, but also was high stakes. I remember driving around listening to it and being like, oh, my God, how are they going to get out of this? What's going to happen? Are they safe? Who's going to talk? How's it going to work out? And that sort of like real life investigative journalism stuff doesn't get any meatier than this. I love this. I love this genre. It's an important story, one we live through in real time, like mm-hmm. most of us that pay attention to the news. I can't really say that for other journalism stories or journalism movies that I really like. You know, um, all the President's Men or The Post or That's true. Spotlight. Like I wasn't really, you know, following along with that, but I was following along with this. I've got a couple of um, sub questions for you. A, okay. what are they going to do about Gwyneth? We had this question when we read the book. We knew this, and now the time has come. They gave us nothing here. What are they doing about Gwyneth? Yeah, I don't know. Like, conspicuously, no one who looks like Gwyneth is in these trailers. (laughs) Okay, so you're going to make predictions, and I'm not going to put any skin in the game because that way I can't be wrong, and you can be wrong. And if you're right, I'm saying that was obvious when you're right about that at the end. Okay, do you think they're going to... Will Gwyneth Paltrow, as herself or as some character... Or even be mentioned in the movie at all? I think yes, actually. Because she did eventually comment on all of this. And I think that, yes. You think she will? Do you think that she or someone playing her will appear in the movie? Gosh. Right? I don't... This I mean, is... I'm, the, on, I'm on the edge of my scene here. Yeah. The trailer doesn't show any of the other like movie nope. stars. We, we only see the 
women who have been cast to play like people, people who we were, don't know frankly right yeah. who people who were production assistants or who mm-hmm. worked for Weinstein's company but were not movie stars so we don't know what they're doing with yeah. there's the Cantor and Tui spoke to a lot of Hollywood starlets and we don't know what they're doing with any of them not just Gwyneth if like if we'll have real I think it has to be it almost has all to or name nothing. real people it has to name right real like it either has to be all real people or all actors playing Gwyneth Paltrow and whoever else was yeah, Jennifer Starlight with you know who has a wellness company or something like that. <laughs> right. I don't know what it'd be. right, and I don't know that they're going to fictionalize to that degree because it is such it's a true story, um, mm-hmm. and that credibility matters. I I don't know what I think is going to happen. I hope the actual people show up. Like their names are on the record. They went on the record. They were in the New York Times. They've spoken about this. It's appeared in they've appeared in other kinds of interviews. I hope that they should. Will it be the if if Gwyneth Paltrow is in this playing Gwyneth Paltrow? Is that the weirdest acting moment I've ever heard of? I think it might have to be. Maybe. (laughs) I think it has to. How weird is that? That is so strange. Playing yourself, having to decide if you're going to go on the record to talk about presumably one of the worst moments of your professional life. Yeah. I mean, I I can certainly understand. And again, I have no, I don't know anything about anything about being famous. I could certainly, certainly understand not wanting to do it. I think if it's all genericized, um, what's the character in Moneyball? Jonah Hill plays a character oh, in Moneyball that right. doesn't actually yeah. exist, and it's an amalgam. He's a, yeah. If they Jonah Hill it, I could certainly understand it, but I think it'll really hurt the impact of the mo- uh, the movie if that's what they go. Because think- so much of what ha- mattered to me too were people that people had heard about telling these kinds of stories and going on the record. And Paltrow doesn't have one of the worst stories, but she was in the mix, mm-hmm. you know? She yeah, I think I mix. would have a lot of questions about like why not appear in the movie? You're in the book, you're in the New York Times pieces, everybody, like it's already out there. Everybody already knows those women were heroes. They did a really important thing. And appearing as yourself, I think it's kind of the only way for them to do it. Um, could, maybe it'll I, be like conversation about Gwyneth Paltrow. That's and what I else, was thinking. But she's we not won't actually see showing anybody. up. Yes, yeah. yeah or she's on the be, phone. Or yeah. you know, um, Carrie Mulligan flips her notepad, and you know, and it's like Gwyneth Paltrow, is in. Yeah. She's in, and here's I've got her on the record. They can run alongside this. Mm-hmm. That would be enough. I yeah. think I don't think we need Gwyneth to be like de-aged in like some weird AI thing, right? Because that's that it's, it's right. been quite but a like, while. Yeah, I think Jennifer Starlight, who owns a wellness company, would be a mistake. I think it would be be a mistake. <laughs> um, Jennifer, I got to get better at the names. I can't make Jennifer names Starlight's going to be the show title though for sure. <laughs> it's now my Top Gun call sign, Starlight. <laughs> it's better um, than heartburn, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, it's more. It's less. It's less accurate. Heartburn's much more accurate. Uh, so I'm okay. looking forward to this. I think it's, this has a very high floor. I'm not sure it has a high, high ceiling. I, I'm not sure it can ever, it's going to be so of a piece with other things in this genre. You know, it's not going to be I'm, the pulp fiction of investigative <laughs> reporting, but I, that's not what I'm looking for here. No. Secondary question. You uh-huh. saw a little bit in the trailer how they're dealing with the, the big bad here. Mm-hmm. You kind of see him from behind. He's got a voice. Will we see someone in full Harvey Weinstein regalia looking at the camera, talking to us, like, kind of direct? Mm, I'm going to bet no. Treat it like the shark and jaws? Yeah, treat it like the shark and jaws. And who wants that acting gig? Is that a great gig for someone or a terrible gig for someone? It's terrible, right? Who wants it's a that? terrible gig. I mean, the thing is, he's not that interesting. Like, no. the shark is scary, and eventually we want to see it, but... 
Weinstein, like there's not, I don't think that that's an interesting character to yeah. play here. It's very, what he did was very repetitive and in hindsight, predictable. Right. There's not a lot of nuance. I, I don't see an upside to that. In the trailer, you get him on the phone saying stuff. So presumably someone is acting that. But I think it would be very powerful if it's sort of uncredited actor and you, mm-hmm. you know, you don't really know and it's, it does that. I think that would work. So there's a lot of interesting things to go on. Movies about famous people are always really strange because you have this Ocean's 12 right. MC Escher tessellation of like, oh yeah, Julia Roberts looks like Julia Roberts. Or is it Bruce Willis? Who, no, Julia Roberts looks like Julia Roberts. And so they fool Bruce Willis into thinking that Tess is Julia Roberts. I'm like, I don't like that. Yes. I like messes, but that's fake. <laughs> that's cheating. You can't get to, you don't get to do that. Um, and this is the first time we've heard this. Like George Clooney and Julia Roberts were walking around Ocean's Eleven, and everyone's like, "God, that guy really looks like George Clooney." It's unacceptable, Rebecca. I can't. I, I hated that. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. Uh, Ring okay. of Power trailer. Okay, this is all you, man. Well, no, it's not because the more interesting thing here is you, as always is. What? Where are you on the the Hobbits? On the whole. The whole elves and let's talk in stilted non-Shakespearean language. Where, where are you on on well-lit ethereal structures in the forest? Where, where are you on this whole thing? I'm not on it is the At answer. All. Uh, no, I'm not on it. I was on for the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I did go see the Hobbit movie because I have like deep childhood connections yeah. to those stories. And I wanted to see like the amazing technology that went mm. into producing those movies and it was such a cultural phenomenon at the time but like really I cared because I had loved those stories since I was a kid and I was gonna go see them with my dad um I don't have any connection to like the extended Lord of the Rings universe um the Tolkien verse I guess so prequels sequels thousand of years thousands of years in the past the second age of Middle Earth whatever like I don't begrudge it but I don't care yeah, I I will watch this. It looks like it cost what it cost. It looks yes. like a jillion dollars. I'm having a hard time caring. I'm sure I will watch it. I think it'll be fun for my kids and I to watch. Um, I have a hard time with prequels, but go go back three millennia, that's a tough hang for me. Um, I'm sorry, Galadriel is a tween. Sure, why not? If they don't age, why do they look younger? Anyway, that's a whole nother. That's, that's for, I'm Let's save not that. nitpick Middle Earth here. I'm going to save that for the message boards. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Whether or not how big of a thing it's going to be. Well, let me ask you this. You didn't put this in here. We got the first full trailer for House of the Dragon uh, yesterday. Oh, I missed were you, that. Were you Thrones? We, no. We missed Thrones together. Yeah, you're on Thrones. I didn't read it. Look, didn't watch it. Yeah. I watched the series after it was out and done, which is a very weird move for me. But also, uh, I'll get to it eventually. I'm starting Breaking Bad tomorrow. Let's put it that way. No, (laughs) but that's the kind of thing I would do. I in the in the Thrones versus Hobbits, and they're not even Hobbits. They're hard feet. Don't at me. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. (laughs) This is a real going toe to toe. It's it's amazing. That's going to come out within ten days of each other. Um, In which one? Can there be two winners here? Or is there only room enough in this fantasy world for one of us vaguely humanoid fantasy creatures? I think my real question is, is there room for either of them? Like the TV. Oh, you zagged. I like that. Here's my hot take. I think the TV landscape has changed a lot in the couple of years since Game of Thrones went off the air. It's changed 
a ton since the last time we had a Hobbit or Lord of the Rings movie. And I think there will always be a core base of fans that want like big epic fantasy content. But that is not the direction that like prestige TV is going and that sort of the big hot shows right now are going. And the so I think appetite for that has shifted some or that you know the folks who are really into that like have moved on to a different trend because it's been a, a fallow for a while yeah. so i will be really interested i i do think it's interesting and strategic that they're coming out around the same times i'm sure that that's intentional it'll be fun to watch the commentary like i will listen to podcasts about tv things <laughs> yes. where people compare the two of these and talk about how they're doing i'll be interested in like all the cultural commentary around these two pieces of television but i think it's very possible that neither one will do the big thing that hbo or amazon is hoping to that do they thrones, will do to do the throne yeah, thing that like, we got is this going to be worth the billion dollars amazon paid for it yeah. i just have a really hard time believing that I wonder which of the shows is worried about the other one, mm. right? I mean, is, is, is Thrones worried about Rings or is Rings worried about Thrones? Huh. I don't know. I don't know either. Which, which do you like... think should be worried? I don't know how much the House of the Dragon stuff cost, but from a let's say they both fail... Amazon takes a body blow. Now they just spent three point billion dollars for a health insurance provider like yesterday, and it's like barely a news story. And you know HBO is now part of Discovery. They got spun off from AT and T. So I don't think any of the the overlords over there care. So maybe it's within that. Is it HBO Max versus Amazon Prime Video? I think Amazon Prime Video has a lot more money to lose. I think they took a bigger swing. I also think this was we when we talked about this originally, this was a Bezos joint saying, I want my Game of Thrones, go pay whatever right, to go get that's it. Right. So they're the ones chasing. Thrones has been off the air for a while. It didn't end awesome over there with the TV show. I mean, you know, the, the Daenerys, Jon Snow ending everything else. I think Thrones means a lot more to HBO than Ring of Power means to Amazon Prime. And I think house of the dragon has a better chance to achieve some function of the throne's popularity mm-hmm. i don't even know what ring of power ceiling is we don't have a big fan is it i don't know what's the biggest fantasy series we've seen on a streamer show? is it stranger things if it was stranger things they'd be over the moon but i can't imagine it's gonna mm. be stranger things mindshare at this point yeah i can't either and i think It's interesting to just think about the place that each of these shows has inside the universe of its streamer as you were sort of situating them in that context that Amazon Prime, I think, has generally really struggled to find like a flagship property um, in the way that Netflix has some, Apple's got some now, HBO Max has some, Disney certainly has some. Mm But it doesn't really matter because Amazon Prime TV is such a small portion of what Amazon is about that it would be not great for them if they spent billions of dollars on obtaining the Tolkien property and then producing this show. But also in the universe of Amazon, I I don't know that it's long term a big problem. Like if, if this fails, are they having like a soul searching conversation at Amazon the next day? Probably not. Um, if Thrones fails, I think it's more likely that somebody at HBO is like, okay, we got to look at 
our direction and what fans really want and are we serving the audience like because that's all they do that's all they do at hbo is make stuff for people to watch so if they're getting it wrong on something that was a really big expensive play they have to pay attention to that in a way that amazon like big amazon rip large doesn't have to pay attention to one of its tv series failing because there are so many other pieces of it. We literally have no idea how this matters to Amazon's bottom line because AWS makes up so much of their profit. Right, for, right. Like it's just like a drop in the bucket, which makes it harder to assess than anything. So you got to really break it down. I, like it's weird that you can spend $3 billion on a thing and it doesn't feel like there are stakes. No, right? Because <laughs> um, I could believe it being a pretty big hit. I, I do have a hard time imagining a scenario which it's a Stranger Things like phenomenon. We're seeing memes about Eddie and Kate Bush and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Again, it's not like that. But like, I, I do have a hard time imagining that. I can see a world when it goes with a whimper. That the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, because not only do you have to have the, you have to do it well, right? I mean, right. that we, things are hard to make. Good things are hard to make at this scale. I think Thrones has the advantage of it has a little more heat. It also is adult. It right. also is going to do violence and stabby stab and all that kind of stuff. And it's going to be an adult thing. And that's where Thrones iterated on Rings of Power, where Rings of Power literally is going backwards. I mean, they're both prequel, but Game of Thrones actually moving the ball f- or House of Dragons moving the ball forward in storytelling and diversity and inclusion. I think they learned some things about mm-hmm. gender dynamics and other things. So this actually does feel like more of, weirdly, even though it is a backstory, it feels like it's moving forward, where Ring of Power really feels to me like it really is moving backward. Yeah, and I, I'm curious about who other than really diehard Tolkien fans is interested in yeah. such a far back Lord of the Rings prequel with characters that we don't know and aren't connected to at all. Like, you know, so you're the not Harry down with Elrond? You're not down with young Elrond? <laughs> you know, the Harry Potter universe yeah. banked a lot on people love this universe and want to spend more time in it. So surely these Fantastic Beasts yeah. movies will be just as big as the Harry Potter proper movies were. And that was not the case. And those were, I think, closer to, mm. like, at least we we knew some of those characters. I, I mean, this feels like what it is, I think, of, like, Jeff Bezos wanted a big thing. And so someone went out and spent a billion dollars and they got a big property that has a big name attached. And then they spent a billion dollars making a show for it. And now they have it. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> Because... It kind of, you know, it's so funny. How big of a screen is Jeff Bezos going to watch his screener for the episode one? <laughs> and will he wear those silver pants he had is on? He, is he going to watch it like on a space station? <laughs> like maybe he'll project it on the back of the moon. It's dark back there. You get good contrast There's rays on the back like of the moon. something like gloriously dissonant about watching a show set a bajillion years in the past while like on your space station. <laughs> it does remind me of like Shakespeare writing plays for Queen Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Like I just want this. Let's do it. We need this. What if they? What? What if they? It was a sham, and they just Bezos was there on set, and they just performed it for him, and that was it. It actually <laughs> didn't get released into the world. That would be amazing. That would be incredible stuff. <laughs> I've or they, the, oh, go they, they make it, and it's like come to the premiere, and it's just him at the premiere, and they're like, never mind, we're not actually putting this on TV. Okay, listeners, I've called peak adaptation. Six times over the last four years. <laughs> at least. Uh, at least six times. If these work, what, what's, there is no limit. What's that meme? It's been a while, right? There the is limit no does limit. not exist. The limit does not exist. If these both work, I recuse myself from calling tops. <laughs> if one of them fails, I'm in the game. If both of them fails, I'm Nostradamus. 
no, that's not fair. That's that that's underselling it. I'm better than Nostradamus at both. No, but you, you hear what I'm saying. If both of these uh-huh. are gigantic monoculture hits, I'm not even saying that to be Stranger Things. What if they're both lasso? If they're both lasso, is that a win? Mm. Yeah. Well. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. No, because More these are trying to be lasso. these are trying to be way bigger than Ted Lasso. I think these do want to be. Yeah. Stranger Things. Ozark. Lasso isn't spin, spinning Keely off into a Succession. limited series. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would watch that show, by the way. Admit it. You would too. Spinning Keely off? Yes. A Keely prequel of her just as like a Glamazon or something? Oh, 100%. Before she, yeah. I would watch that. Get on that, Apple. Okay. Enough of that. <laughs> Let's end with um, Rebecca's version of the Rings of Power coming out. <laughs> Longtime listeners of the show will know that I love me some Garth Brooks. Yeah. And m- many years ago... They announced, I think, a five-part anthology memoir situation. And the first edition came out, I think, in like 2017 or 2018, that looked at the first five years of his career and had five or six CDs in it. And I got it for Christmas that year from a person who loves me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Jeff, there was a whole thing in my house that day because I was like, this is amazing. Look at all of the pillars of the Garth. (laughs) And then Bob was like... You have a Mac. We don't have any way to play a We're going to have to go boost a 94 Corolla so we can play one of these. I had to, like, I did. I did do this. I had to buy, like, an external CD drive that was compatible with my Mac and upload upload them. And it was worth it. And volume two, the next five years of Garth, is coming out this winter. And is available. Oh, it's coming out the same day as Michelle Obama. What do you think is going to sell more? Do you think Michelle Obama worried about saying part two is coming out? Should we move it? No, but if Michelle Obama and Garth Brooks go on a book tour concert situation together, I will absolutely be there. Um, It's only available for pre-order through a site called Talk Shop Live. I learned this today because (laughs) I'm on the Garth Brooks email newsletter. Oh, my God. I know. All my secrets are coming out. (laughs) But somebody else listening to this podcast has to be as excited about volume two of Pillars of the Garth as I am. So here's my fan service for the days. You two can join me in pre-ordering this thing. It's in stock three months ahead of time. Also, it comes with six CDs with an yeah, apostrophe. Actual Real, CDs. Some, quali- some quality control over there, over at Tom. Garth. What I mean, Garth. Ever since I mean, I re- I think really starting with the Chris Haynes Gaines experiment Chris Gaines. Mm-hmm. has been one long flex. Just like he hasn't unclenched since like '97. Not on not on Spotify. He does like nine year tours. I'm going to do a five-part anthology. They're going to come out every five years. I'm going to release them like Voyager 2 with like a gold-plated CD. <laughs> it's you remember working. Voyager 2? I do. And you know, people out there, you can't even buy these in a bookstore. I'm going to take all the money for myself. Like, can we talk about the cover? We talked about Michelle Obama's sweater. This is Garth Brooks's face coming out of the abyss, the darkness of oblivion in black and white with a projection of the American flag. It's, on it's one of the old album covers. This is one of the old Garth album covers, that American flag projected. Well, what's it, what's more of flex, that he did that before all of this or after his <laughs> the, the long the long embiggening of Garth Brooks's impact on Rebecca Shinsky's cultural lunch? I mean, I think Garth has always been flexing, is really the story. Mm. 
I've got to say, he's losing fans because I can't play my kids Garth Brooks over Spotify. And if I can't play it on Spotify right now, the music doesn't exist. I know. I don't care it where is it is. Very sad. I Did learned... you rip these to like your eyes? Like, how are you listening to the river right now? Like, what are you going when oh, it's man. time to well, get my friends in low? I have friends in low places ripping. Garth Brooks is available on Amazon Prime Music, which is I that learned. Right? Oh, yes, I didn't know that. Which I learned after I ordered an external CD drive and figured out how to rip Pillars of the Garth Part 1 up to <laughs> the cloud. Yeah. It's just up there. You can just it's pull just, it down. Yeah, it's just yeah. up there. Um, so, yeah, if you... But I, I, I'm also... I live my life on Spotify, and every now and then I want to listen to the Garth Brooks double live album yeah. from, like, 1996. And the, I've like, got to listen to some terrible cover of two pina coladas on Friday <laughs> afternoon. It's terrible. Right. And it's like, am I going to find it on YouTube? Do I want to mm. mess around with prime music? I don't know if all of his music is just there or if at some point I discovered that double live was available there, but yeah. it's a whole thing. Like I understand make that money, Garth, whatever, but please get on Spotify. <laughs> Do you think Garth needs more money? No. Do you think he's like, you know what this, if I take 11% more of the cover price through talk shop live, <laughs> I don't even up. know, honestly, if it was She's like, like... He's like, Trish, have you ever have we thought about self-publishing? I don't know if it was his call about not being on all yeah. of the music streamers or if there's some old contractual situation going on his there. His people. His people are doing all this. Garth doesn't care. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Okay. Well, I'm glad we had a moment for you and for <laughs> no. all of you out there. You're welcome or I'm sorry, depending on how that segment went for you. You can find show notes. <laughs> To this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. You can email us, podcast at bookriot.com. Let's all keep our antenna out for the big Colleen Hoover story. If you see yes, the profile please. in The Economist or Vogue or you know what I'm talking about, you know, you know, um, let me know. If you're interested in the Patreon, the Ask Me Anythings it was up and we're going to talk about tomorrow and tomorrow, tomorrow which you can buy anywhere you buy books. And we're going to have some 90s talk. I'm really excited. Speaking of Garth Me Brooks too. in the 90s, I'm excited to talk about the 90s with Rebecca Shinsky. Thank you so much. Have a good one. <laughs>